Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, St. Louis Blues Edition. And today, I am joined by Bradley, who is the editor and publisher of St. Louis Game Time, which you might be saying to yourself, wait, that's a blog on the internet. But actually, if you didn't know this, St. Louis Game Time started out as a physical publication that they still, um, do you guys give it out or sell it at games? Oh, it's it's $4. We have uh, <laughs> 20, 24 pages of, analysis jokes stats insights uh the whole nine yards 24 pages every game that's awesome so yeah so this is like a physical newspaper that is sold at st louis blues games which i personally think is super fun and i wish we had something like that here but broadstreethockey.com will have to compensate (laughs) it's the i tell people it's the worst hobby ever uh because (laughs) i i obviously i love it but it's almost like a second job and uh yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, it actually dates back. The first issue of a fan run paper sold outside a Blues game was January 1995. So we're coming up on 24 years later this month. That is uh, super the, cool. The, the original guy did it for 10 years. The second guy did it for seven. And this is my seventh season. And I've already said, well, I'd like to do an all-star issue for next year in 2020. Plus, it'll be 25 years. So I'll do at least eight seasons. And we'll kind of see what happens after that. Very cool. Yeah. Knowing how much work goes into just online publication i can only imagine how much goes into physical publication so i'm sure it's a labor of love for you it is plus we have to like pay people money to to like print it and sell it mm. and stuff and that's yeah. uh, that, that's a, that's an added uh uh challenge i'm sure all right so let's dive into the blues a little bit um and we'll kick off the way that I like to with the Flyers connection, which is our old friend Craig Berube, who is now your head coach. Um, how is that all going so far? Emphasis on interim head coach. Okay. <laughs> uh, because, because it's uh, it's not going great. I gotta mm-hmm. tell you, it, uh, I think he's been a steadying hand, but it's it, they were very clear when when GM Doug Armstrong made the change. Uh, I guess it was in December. He was very clear that they were going to look at everybody. They were going to perform a search. And and really the past three or four coaching changes, I think probably dating back to the 90s with Joel Quinville, they really haven't had a, a prolonged search. They've fired a guy and introduced the same guy, the next guy at the, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, so they really haven't been in depth in looking at and being very public about it. I'm sure behind the scenes, they had talked to different guys when they had hired Hitchcock or Davis Payne or, you know, Mike Yo was the coach in waiting here. Yeah. When Hitchcock was fired. Uh, but, but Ruby is definitely the interim tag. And he's kind of like uh, you're maybe an elementary school teacher who is out on, on maternity leave for a couple months <laughs> and, and you have a full-time substitute that's there every day. Okay. That's, that's Craig Ruby right now. Some days, class is really good they're ready to learn they learn the books they don't talk they don't mess around in class and other days it's just horse play from start to finish yeah and poor craig baruby i don't think has all the lessons memorized yet <laughs> no 
Uh, here, here's my best example. So he has tried to be a steadying factor, a steadying force in the organization. And so uh, right after Christmas, Robbie Fabry, who's had two knee surgeries and been out for two years and is back this year, but has been dogged with some more injuries, go figure, was coming back from his shoulder. Uh, he was ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they kept him out of the lineup for two games and instead dressed Nolan, uh, Jordan Nolan, uh, a plug who's now down in the AHL, but somehow had Sue Stanley Cup rings with the Kings. Yeah. Uh, you know, the skill and ability with the puck between these two guys, it's night and day. Uh, yeah. But they, they had won a couple games, emphasis on a couple. And so he didn't want to mess with the lineup. This week, just a couple weeks, you know, just two weeks later, um, they win Thursday night against the Washington Capitals. A big win on home ice. One of the most exciting games at home this year. Probably one of their best wins. Two or three best wins of the season. And then dresses two regular guys, or scratches two regular guys, Pat Maroon and Joel Edmondson as healthy scratches. They they put in Zach Sanford for the first time since November on a forward line. And and they have a really uneven performance last night against the Islanders. So it, mm-hmm. it, it really is weird where one week it's, oh, we want consistency. Oh, we won. Well, let's not mess with it. They have their best win of the year, and they mess with the lineup. It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. We uh, – yeah, Craig wasn't great here either. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not super surprised to hear that he's, you know – I think he's a good assistant coach. I don't think he's a good head coach. I, I think he has the respect of the lineup. I think the players yeah. definitely respect him. But when it comes to making some of those decisions and, and uh, you know, quote unquote coaching, you know, what he's supposed to be doing, maybe, maybe he's not uh, the most qualified or um, I don't know, intellectual about it, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Blues fans are definitely ready for the next guy. There has been zero talk in the last couple of weeks about Bruby getting the job Mm. long-term. I don't think there's any expectation in, inside or outside the organization that he's going to be the coach next year going forward. So do you think there's any chance Quenville would come back there? <laughs> it's interesting that a Flyers person and a Blues person is talking about this, mm-hmm. uh, especially after the way that um, the past coaches were let go and all the rumors around Quenville and in Philadelphia. Yep. Uh, maybe maybe i mean there's there's definitely some history there as he was you know head coach here for a while um he had he he had a family here and raised a family here for a long time mm-hmm. uh he has unfinished business he's the winningest or i guess now the second winningest coach in blues history by behind ken hitchcock okay but he kind of has some unfinished business they they won a president's trophy here and then lost in the first round they went to the conference final the next year and then there was kind of a little bit of decline and he was gone it would be, I would think he would have the motivation of playing the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, several times yeah. a year and being in the same division and That's maybe true. even playing him in the playoffs at some point that that might be an inspiration for, you know what, let's go back and screw those guys. Yeah. It's going to be super interesting to see where he ends up because it seems like there's going to be quite a few spots where he could land and he's pretty much going to have his choice. So it'll be yeah, interesting. It, 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 He's, he's making enough money, and I think he, it looks like he's having a good enough time mm-hmm. that he doesn't have to do anything the rest of this year. And, and actually, I, I've heard this uh, idea a couple different places. 
that if he came in for the last couple months of the season, that he might turn turn around a team and, and make a, a worse draft position for a team. Yep. Why not wait wait for them to get a better draft position and then come in the summer, clean house, do what you want, have a full season and full training camp and everything and off season to get ready. Why why push it this year? Go ahead and relax. Collect your six million dollars from the Blackhawks, yeah. and and we'll figure something out this summer. Yeah, that seems like the way it's going to end up, which I think is is probably for the best, both for the teams and for him, because. Why not take a highly paid vacation? I would certainly do that. Yeah. <laughs> so as we speak, I checked this morning, the Blues are bottom of the Western Conference. Um, I think it was something like nine points out of the last wild card spot. Um, yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Which is odd. It kind of reminds me of the Flyers in that when you look at this team on paper, um, probably shouldn't be that bad. No. But for some reason, it seems like everyone outside of Ryan O'Reilly has completely forgotten how to score hockey goals, which is obviously not going to win you a lot of games. Um, one of the things that we talked about a lot at Broad Street Hockey with the Flyers was whether this was on the players or if it was on kind of the system that the team was running from the top down. Um, with the Blues, do you think it's more system or more personnel? Oh, it's definitely both. Um, yeah. it, so they, they brought in some different assistants uh mike van ryan is the new defensive assistant coach and and he has implemented a little bit different uh frame of mind point of view strategy for the defense and they have not taken to it Mm. Uh, and if you watch on on monday night you will see uh, and every team is doing against the blues now because they've seen the film and and they're they're all kind of trying to do the same thing where on a cycle they will send the other team will send forwards kind of towards the net and then curl at the end red line and then come up the boards. They don't even necessarily have to have the puck and a blues defenseman will peel off and follow, follow that guy almost all the way to the blue line because that's what he's told to do. And it creates a gap, a black hole from where he should be yeah. down there at the circle or at the bottom of the circle or, you know, near the, near the net. And, and it, and it creates this space where all of a sudden there's a guy wide open for a one timer from the slot where a defenseman should be there to intercept the pass or, or break up the, you know, block the shooting lane. And he's chasing the guy down the boards and it, it happens. It happens on a nightly basis. Um, so, so there definitely is some system stuff and guys like Joel Edmondson and Alex Petrangelo have not adapted very well. And, yeah. And they look lost on certain nights and they've given up some big, big scores. I think there was a stretch of eight home games where they had allowed uh, four of the eight home games, they allowed six or more goals. Uh, it, it has not been pretty. Uh, but, I mean, there are some players who are struggling. I'm sure we're going to talk more about Vladimir Tarasenko in a minute. Yeah. He is, he's having a down year. Uh, Jake Allen, the goaltender, mm-hmm. has two more, two or three more years on his contract. He is he's struggled, but he's had 14 straight starts because the, the backup that they signed, Chad Johnson from Buffalo, he crapped the bed and they yes. put him on waivers and the Ducks picked him up. So he's had two AHL rookies kind of trading spots on the bench watching him play. And, and they've only pulled him one time in the last 14 games. So wow. he, he's on he's on track to, to start a ton of games. Now, one of the two, probably Jordan Bennington, who is a little bit older. He's about 25. Uh, he filled in for one game when when Allen got pulled, when they allowed four, I think, in the first a uh, couple games ago. Uh, Bennington will probably get a start either Monday or Tuesday. Monday's in Philadelphia, Tuesday's back home uh, against Dallas, I believe. Mm. So 
So they've already said that Binghamton will get one of those starts. So the most that Allen could start would be 15 goals games in a row. But during that That's stretch, a lot. It, it is. And during yeah. that stretch, he's, al- he's allowing on average about three goals a game. Mm, that's not great. Last night, the Blues fell four to three. They had a two two goal lead. They were up two nothing after the first. Uh, it, it ended up being four three. Ryan O'Reilly scored a goal with about ninety seconds left to get them within mm. one, and it was a kind of a frantic scramble at the end. But Jake Allen allowed four goals on fourteen shots. Oh God! He made ten saves in the game. Yikes! And played the, the entire game until the last two minutes when they pulled him. So from he so, might be a little tired. <laughs> he might be. He might be. So, I mean, there's definitely some, definitely some struggles. And then yeah. you know, a couple, a couple of new guys they brought in over the summer. Uh, you know, David Perron's played pretty well. He's second mm-hmm. on the team in goals. Uh, he's given the depth scoring. I think the Blues hoped when they signed him at yeah. the opening of free agency. Tyler Bozak is struggling. Pat Maroon is struggling. Maroon was a healthy scratch last night. I believe he still only has one even strength goal on the season. So, uh, it, it the on paper, yeah, they look really good. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of guys who make a fair amount of money, four, five, mm-hmm. $6 million a year. Um, they have not played well together at all. Huh. So you did mention Vladimir Tarasenko, who I think for those of us looking at, at the blues from the outside is kind of like the most glaring, I think struggle that seems to be happening right now. He's got 11 goals, 12 assists, which for him seems a bit low um, given what we've seen from him over past seasons. What do you think is going on with him? Because that, that whole line um, last year with who was it? Chen and um, Jaden Schwartz, Jaden Schwartz, like they were pretty, pretty fire for like the whole season. What do you think is going on with Tarasenko? Well, I think there's a couple things and uh a few things you kind of need to watch on somewhat of a nightly basis. Uh, and there's a couple things that jump out. So Jaden Schwartz got a point last night. He had an assist on Braden Shen's goal. Uh, I'm scrolling down to see if he had one on the last one. He did not. Tarasenko and Perron uh, assist on Ryan O'Reilly's last goal. So that was uh, Schwartz's first point, goal or assist since December 18th. That guy, it, when he is healthy and when he's on, the Blues win. Uh, last year, they got off to pretty much a record setting pace for in franchise history at the beginning of the season where they played really well into the first week of December. He took a slap shot off, uh, from Tarasenko off the back of his skate boot and broke a bone in his foot and was gone for five or six weeks. And that's when the blues really went downhill and, and mm-hmm. fell out, fell out of the playoff position and they couldn't really recover when he's healthy and playing well, they score a lot of goals. He, he is a smaller guy. He's under six foot. He's, he's not uh, super strong, but he, he has really high hockey IQ. He makes really good puck decisions. He's one of the faster skaters on the team. He's pretty fearless, which kind of puts him in the line of fire sometimes. But, but as he goes, the team has gone. And, and, as yeah. he has, and as he has struggled on that line with Shen and Tarasenko, it kind of has had a ripple effect. So they've taken Tarasenko off, and they've placed him with O'Reilly for a little while. And they, they kind of struggled a little bit to develop some chemistry. Tarasenko last night started on the third line away from Shen yeah. Schwartz. So uh, they're trying lots of different things. If you watch on a nightly basis, and I wouldn't expect you to, uh, a lot of times when they go in the offensive zone, there is, there is a problem with overpassing the puck. No one is oh. taking, no one's taking charge and saying, look, give it to me. I want it. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to put it on net. 
it, they, they all don't want to take the reins sometimes. And, and that's a, a, tr- a problem. And when they overpass the puck, what that means is when it, they give it to the next guy, he's not prepared for it. So very few times do you see guys in really good prime shooting position where his feet are set, he's facing the goal the right way, he has an open shooting lane. A lot of times he might be turned a little bit. He might be uh, more parallel instead of perpendicular with the net. And so he just has to give it to the next guy, and he's not in a position to put a powerful shot on net. Uh, and, it, and it really has stifled any creativity on, on, on offense. And it, it, I mean, it's shift and shift and shift. And there are sometimes, I mean, last night uh, there was a goal that was kind of a bang, 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 like three quick passes and a, and a shot from the slot that made it in that was one of their best offensive plays in probably a month. Uh, and I said, whoa, where'd that come from? And then they didn't have it like the rest of the game. So I, I think it, historically when Tarasenko has been in a rough spot personally, where he has had a little bit less confidence or maybe there's a little something wrong or he's not comfortable with his shot, something's been wrong. He has always been a guy to overpass the puck and try mm-hmm. to help his teammates excel because he still draws defenders. He still has a gravitational pull for guys to cover him because he's such a dangerous shooter. But I kind of think now people are seeing the film and they're, and, and, and they're, they're paying attention to his numbers and they know he is not the deadly shot that he has been in recent seasons. And they can kind of lay off him a little bit and cover his other line mates. And, and it kind of messes everything up from what the blues want to try to do with that line. See, this is why I love these little chats because I always find something particularly with other teams that are struggling that there is in common with the Flyers. And we complain a lot about the fact that the Flyers pass too much. And I do think that it's a thing when the scoring isn't there, these guys overthink everything. So instead of just shooting the puck, like they've done a million times in their careers, like they know how to do, they just try to make it too pretty and it never works. So I I think one part of it is general hockey culture because, Mm. you know, they're, they're ingrained from a young age that it's a team sport, it's a team game, and the team comes first. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you're going to put a solid shot in net, if you don't feel like you have a chance at a goal, you want to help your teammates because you don't want to be selfish. You don't want to look bad that you're putting a weak-ass shot on net mm-hmm. and that you're, or it gets blocked or it's going to miss a mile wide. And, 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 you're, and, and your mindset is, well, if I can't do it, I'm going to help my teammates do it. And they take it a step too far, and then it's like passing the puck, passing the puck, passing the puck, nobody shoots. Yeah. So one of the things that seems to happen when you have a team that has good players, but that is doing very poorly is the trade rumors start to kick up. Um, We've seen it a bit in Philly and you guys are seeing it in St. Louis. It was actually Elliot Friedman who, you know, you usually kind of trust kind of speculated that maybe Braden Shen could be a guy that the blues trade to try to shake things up. Do you think that this team needs that kind of a dramatic shakeup? Um, and if it does, would it be Shen that you would move or would you do something else? I, I would hate to see it happen, but I think there's a couple, couple factors at play. And so the blues have not publicly said that they're giving up on the playoffs yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the, you know, the magic number is about 94, 95 points. They're about 59 points away with the number of games they have left. I think 37, that's going to be a pretty Herculean task for yeah. this this uh, lineup. So they haven't publicly said that, but the closer we get to the trade deadline in six, seven weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, uh, 
I think they'll be talking more about it and they'll be making some trades. The, the, I, St. Louis is notoriously quiet. Uh, really, during Doug Armstrong's long career here as general manager, there's only been two acquisitions that there were rumblings about before it happened. One was Ryan O'Reilly. They were mm-hmm. they were in the Ryan O'Reilly discussion uh, for weeks leading up to the trade right at the beginning of free agency in July. And the other was the Ryan Miller trade back in 2014 from Buffalo. Other than that, when they, you know, it was known that they were going to trade uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, but the Capitals were never in that discussion. Um, there have been other times where they were looking to make a trade and it didn't happen or trades happened and it came out of the blue. Very rarely when they've quote unquote unloaded someone has there been a lot of scuttlebutt about it. Mm. So I, I, I'm pretty jaded into thinking that if someone is mentioned, but you know, it, a lot of trade rumors come out of Toronto and a lot of writers see guys with Ontario ties and say, Alex Petrangelo, man, he could come home and play really well for the, this Leafs team. He doesn't have that much term left on his contract. I think he's a free agent after next year. Mm-hmm. He would make a lot of sense for the Maple Leafs. Doesn't doesn't mean that the Blues are looking to trade their captain. Yeah, I mean he's had he's struggled this year too. But um, I think that I think some of the rumors are definitely circumspect and, and people looking for they they want to play Chuck Woolery on uh, uh, Love Connection. They want to <laughs> they want to they want to they want to be play matchmaker. Okay, Shen might be a little bit different story. He's a free agent after next year. Uh, his play last year, you would think maybe would merit a, a, a contract raise. Yeah. Uh, for his next contract, he makes what five, seven, five, six, five, five, somewhere in there. Yeah. Maybe six million dollars. So I would, I would think he'd be looking for six, six and a half million easily. Would the Blues be willing to give that? I don't know. I also wonder what his mindset is. Hey, we were we we looked like a really strong team last year. We missed the playoffs by one point. They went more aggressive this summer and added O'Reilly and Bozak and Maroon and Perron and everything's trending the right way and it's been crap. So, you know, there's a lot of turmoil and you know, if you're a free agent after next season, maybe you're not open to re-signing with the Blues and if that's the case, I could see them making a deal. But he is such an integral part of the core of this franchise right now uh basically the second line center and 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 was the first line center basically mm-hmm. last year because of a lack of other guys but the way he played was really really strong so i could see him wanting a bigger contract and wanting to test free agency and if that's the case i would think the blues want to move on uh, one last thing kevin shattenkirk uh everyone knew he probably wasn't going to resign because uh they had too much money to already tied up in petrangelo and bow and too many years left in those contracts. They couldn't give a third defenseman same dollars, about $7 million. Uh, Bo Meester makes five point something. Uh, so everyone knew he was going to be traded. He scuttled some trades because he wouldn't, uh, he could have been traded for uh, Hall uh, in Edmonton instead of went to New Jersey uh, because he wasn't going to resign in Edmonton. He, he scuttled the trade to, I think, Aunt Tampa Bay because he wouldn't sign an extension in Tampa Bay. Mm. So I, I wonder if that's going to make Doug Armstrong worried about how he can handle with Shen, because if he puts Shen in the same position and says, oh, I'm not going to sign here, here, or here, is that going to limit the trade partners and limit the return on the trade if they try to do it? Uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta feel that Armstrong has a bad taste in his mouth from the way Shattenkirk handled that. Yeah. And Shen could do it the same way. I will have to say it is pretty wild to think of the Blues 
in any way blowing it up because like you were just mentioning over the summer, it seemed pretty clear that they were going to make, or they were intending to make a hard push this season with all of the stuff that was added, um, particularly O'Reilly, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's, I, it doesn't seem productive to make too many moves to the core of the team. I don't think. Yeah. It just depends on what your plan is two seasons from now, three seasons yeah. from now. Yeah. yeah. So I think we've kind of all accepted that Craig Berube is probably not going to lead you guys to a cup anytime soon. Um, and he is probably more than likely at least a big reason, if not all of the reason why the blues are struggling the way that they are. Um, if you were coaching this team, what would you do differently to get these guys going? Um, hmm. <clears throat> That's interesting. Uh, I got, you have to find a way. Okay. One criticism of the blues and, and one shining moment, the game against Washington on Thursday. So there was a lot of uh, backstory heading into that game where Tom Wilson has had some questionable hits on blues players in preseason games for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he knocked Oscar Sundquist in the next week, got suspended for the long term. The arbiter cut it, cut it down. But pretty much everyone knew going to that game that there was going to be there. He was going to have to answer the bell. Yeah. And he did with Robert Bortuzzo. The crowd went crazy. And it was the it was the best crowd of the season. The players fed off it. It was one of their best performances. They have come out. Okay, here's here's an amazing stat to me. They've won two games in a row, I believe, four times now. I think they are the only team in the NHL that has not won three in a row the entire season. Oh, wow. Every time that they win two, that third game, it's it's not even close. It doesn't go to overtime. It doesn't come down to a third period moment. You know, uh, they win two in a row, and then they lose 7-1 to, to Vancouver or 7-2 yeah. to Calgary. It's it's crazy how that third game, it's they explode. And it's when Mike Gill was still the head coach, uh, there was a game where they had an uneven performance after a win. And they said, Coach, how do you explain playing so well last game and playing not well tonight? And and his phrase that kind of confused a lot of people was, I think maybe there might be an arrogance on this team. Hmm. And and people struggled with what he thought was arrogance. And I kind of I kind of take it as they play a couple games and all of a sudden they feel like world beaters and their confidence is going through the roof. And they just feel like if they show up for that third game, well, the other team's just going to roll over and we're going to do the same thing. And we don't have to enter with the same mindset or the same mindset or approach that we did in the wins. It's just going to happen. We're that good. Look at us on paper. We won the off season. Yeah. And, and that is not how you build a winning streak <laughs> at all. It's the opposite. Yeah. So, so if I were head coach, I would figure out a way to, to get these guys mad, to get them pissed off, to get them fired up. Because too many nights, they roll over, they allow an early goal, and you can just tell they're not going to push back. They're not going to fight. Oh, uh, my and God. It's, and it's not going to end well. What's that? It sounds so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, I mean, it's crazy. I, uh, hockey is such a uh, emotional game. And, and I think that's, as hockey fans, that's one of the things we love, especially yeah. in the playoffs where – it's, it's, you know, emotionally draining and fired up and charged. And you see the guys, you know, wanting to run through the other team. And when you see a team come out and they play the exact opposite, you're like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you do that? 
Yeah, it is a it's a very frustrating brand of hockey to watch. Because, you know, these are human beings, obviously, at the end of the day, but I think that you kind of expect that they're going to get up for every game and they're not going to lose any of the fight that they're supposed to have inside of them as professional athletes, but I mean, with the Flyers, and I'm I'm sure it's the same for you guys, like, you can see it on their faces. Like, you can just see that they've given up in a game. You yep. don't have anymore. Guys aren't making plays. It's just like you can just tell they're just coasting until the buzzer. And it's very, very hard to watch. As a, as a practice, I don't go to exhibition games in the preseason mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't enjoy the level of intensity of games. And I, I've said on Twitter – too many times to count the season that regular season games have felt like preseason games this season. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's very annoying. So getting back to um, your struggling players and trade rumors, could you maybe make a couple of calls and get us Vladimir Tarasenko? <laughs> we, would treat him, we would treat him very well. We would give him yeah. lots of treats. He would get, a lot of long walks in the middle of the afternoon. We have like all of the goaltenders. You guys probably need one. We could probably spare like two or three if you want some. Um, well, we had we had Brian Elliott, so yeah, and they, uh, they they chose not to keep him. So he's um kind of our best one. So I doubt he'd be the one that we'd give you anyway. But we've got like seven other ones. So <laughs> a grab bag. You can have like a lightly used Jake Voracek. Maybe if we just flip those guys around, they'll find their game again. I don't know. <laughs> you haven't given up on Carter Hart yet, have you? Oh, God, no. No. Okay, no, no, no. Okay. No, Carter Hart's young shoulders are carrying all of the hopes and dreams of every single Flyers fan. So Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. He's uh, as, far, as, far as, as far as Tarasenko being on the market, I, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, I think Jeremy Rutherford with The Athletic, Mm-hmm. who used to be with the Post-Dispatch, has said that pretty much everyone is on the table. I mean, there's a couple guys. Uh, Robert Thomas is a rookie. Uh, he's 19 years old. There's no way that they're looking to trade him. Uh, Jordan Cairo was just the AHL Rookie of the Month for December and made the AHL All-Star game. He, he's probably not available. Uh, but if you looked at pretty much anybody on the roster at, at the NHL level, yeah, you could make the case that for the right price, uh, you could you could get that guy. Uh, so I think Tarasenko has four years left in his contract. Mm-hmm. He makes about $7 million a year. Uh, former 40-goal former scorer. Uh, conjecture, I think a lot of Blues fans pictured 50 at one time yeah. uh, in his future. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in St. Louis or not. Uh, He's been he's been healthy. He, he got hurt in the last game of the season last year, and, and that could have had some long lasting effects. Uh, he separated his shoulder in Colorado in game 82. Mm-hmm. Uh, he missed uh, two thirds of that game and then had to I, I think he had to have surgery and had a pretty long rehab. Uh, the biggest knocks on Tarasenko have been off the ice. There have been rumors that he's a little distant in the locker room, huh. which, you know, is you can live with guys with that. But you know, if a guy isn't playing up to his potential, then all of a sudden you talk about it. So he yeah, might... the, the Dougie Hamilton argument. Yep. So <laughs> he's, he's been a little distant in the locker room is some of the rumors that have come out from the team. And then there have been some allegations that he is not always in the best of shape mm. uh, specifically to start the season. Uh, but 
I will tell you this. He is one of the more driven players on the team. And if he is still figuring a couple things out, you know, Alexander Ovechkin, and, you know, it's easy to say one Russian right wing and another Russian right wing and, and kind of make comparisons. They have, they have really different games. Tarasenko does not have a strong one-timer in his repertoire. And yeah. that's, that's pretty much what Ovechkin lives off is the one-timer. Uh, oh, Tarasenko's uh, calling card is his quick release. He can be in a shooting position and release the puck and have it on net in the blink of an eye faster than, than 90, probably 98, 99% of players in the NHL. Uh, he, he, he kind of is in the same position now, just turned 27 in December where Ovechkin in his late twenties kind of had to figure out what it took to be a professional athlete in your late twenties heading to 30 and mm-hmm. what kind of commitment it took 12 years out of the month, uh, 12 months out of the year, sorry, uh, mm-hmm. to, to really maintain that fitness level and the health level and take care of himself and diet and exercise and the whole, the whole package. I kind of think that's going to open up for him at some point in the near future. And, mm-hmm. and I would imagine either if he stays in St. Louis or if he goes on somewhere else and then has that motivation to prove St. Louis wrong, that he probably is going to have a nice resurgence not too long from now, but he's going to have to make a few different adjustments to how he lives. He has, uh, he has a young kid, um, uh, his wife that has a son from a different marriage. Uh, it was really big news in blues, blues, Twitter land, uh, a couple weeks ago, the Tarasenko's put their house up for sale. It's a, it's a mansion, but it's only list. It's only listed at like two and a half million. I think it only has like four bedrooms. I I say only for a two plus something million dollar house. Right. But when a guy's when a guy's making seven million, has four years left in his contract at seven million a year, and already has two kids, and could have another, and has relatives who visit from Russia. Four four bedrooms is not a lot. No. And if you look at the if you Google the listing, uh, they clearly had moved out, and they're in a different house in St. Louis. So it's Mm. not like. Yeah. It's not like they're saying, I think I'm going to get traded. So we need to get the house on the market as soon as possible. They upgraded and they plan on staying. I think this sounds like a classic needs a, a new setting. Change of scenery. Change of scenery. That's the one. And so we'll just trade Voracek, who could also use a change of scenery. For Terry Franco. One for one hockey trade. Everybody wins. Voracek. <laughs> Voracek. Yeah. Voracek. How old is he? uh 30 29 30 something like that i thought he was older than that i'm clicking on his name but my computer is being slow to update he's 29 29 yeah okay i wasn't that far off that's good 10 goals 22 assists this year uh he, he doesn't turn 30 until august he passes too much yeah that's his problem but anyway that's just my personal dream. I'm not sure if it's shared by anybody else, but that's what I would like to see. So, by the way, I'm notorious for getting names mostly right, but then having a glaring wrong part. My <laughs> uh, uh, the guy who writes our front page, Jeff Jones, and who wow. we also who I also podcast with, uh, he uh, he gave me trouble for a good year saying that uh, I said Alex Petrangelo's name wrong. I, mm-hmm. I think I would slow it down and I would say Alex. Petra Angelo and that's not quite right and he would snicker every time I did it so well if uh, it makes you feel any better I on purpose say Alex Peter Angelo because it makes me laugh <laughs> well his uncle who played for the Whalers went by Peter Angelo Frank, oh, really? Frank Frank Peter Angelo yeah he was a goalie for the Whalers in the 80s how about 
about that? So I'm not wrong. Again, crushed it. <laughs> At least part of the family pronounces it that way. Yeah. Okay. So heading into the game, give the Flyers fans listening a guy who might be flying under the radar that we might not know about, but who you think could make an impact on the game. Uh, Robert Thomas. So I mentioned he's a rookie. Uh, I hear he's he, very smooth. He is. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, the Rob Thomas reference. Yeah. I know. I when, uh, when he was on a line with uh, Robbie Fabry, mm-hmm. we, 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 for like one game, we were able to call him the Millie Vanilli line mm. because the, the lead quote-unquote singers in Millie Vanilli were Rob and Fab. So, um, but then you could make the Rob, uh, the Rob Thomas reference from, uh, yeah. 20. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, he's, yeah, he's smooth. Uh, 19 years old rookie last year, he was playing for Hamilton in, uh, the Ontario hockey league. And, uh, he was, he won the Wayne Gretzky award as the MVP of the Memorial cup. Mm. Uh, so he has the potential. I think he was drafted 29th two years ago. Uh, you know, he, he is he has had some growing pains. They put him on the fourth line center and he was getting eight minutes a game to start the season and it was not working. And I made the joke, he needs more playing time, but uh, to play better, but to, to, to play better, he really needed to earn that playing time. It was it was it was a circle. He couldn't he couldn't earn more playing time because he wasn't playing well enough, but he wouldn't play well enough until he played more. Right. So so he's gotten over that hump. They they scratched him for a few games. Uh, he made it past the 10 game kind of tryout before they could send it back to juniors for a year, you know, because the stupid rule that you have to be 20 to play in the AHL, he can only go back to juniors or he can, or he could stay in St. Louis. There was no in between that kind of hurt him for the first month and a half of the season. He's now a nightly, a nightly dress and he's been moving his, he's been moving his way up the lineup. He was on a line with Bozak and Maroon. And it was crazy that the, the one-on-one plays he was making, uh, against defenders as he was coming on net because he would be alone because his line mates were like 30 feet behind him because they couldn't catch up to him. Yeah. Now they've moved him up. He was on O'Reilly's line for a little while on, on Saturday and I think Thursday. So I think they've realized he's ready to play with like good offensive players. Mm-hmm. So, so I would definitely watch out for him. He, he, he is really good one-on-one. He moves the puck. He has really good vision. Um, and he is dangerous down low. Most of his, most of his plays are, are within say 10 feet of the end line. Huh. Okay. Um, are there any flyers besides like Yuri Laterra that you like watching when out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when, when the whole uh, cocaine investigation happened, that was kind of a bombshell across St. Louis and it was good. I was, gonna, I was actually going to ask if you guys had any inkling that that was a thing with him. Um, leading up to it. No, but uh, I think I've, I think I've heard a few things since. I mean, it certainly doesn't were... appear to give him any energy. That's for sure. No, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the joke that we had was that guy was on cocaine. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the thing with Yori Latera, so he was on the Tarasenko scholarship, we called it, because they had played together in the mm-hmm. KHL and, and had played well. And when he came over at the same time as Tarasenko, they were paired together. And so every line combination they had, it was Latera and Tarasenko. And we, for a while, fans would call him, Laterasenko. So, um, but then the closer that Latera, and he came over pretty, you know, a little bit late. I think he was 26 or 27 uh-huh. his rookie year in the NHL. Uh, when he hit 30, his speed went through the floor. And and really, we started calling him the boat anchor on that line because literally they'd have to drag him down the ice because he couldn't yep. keep up. 
So, uh, yeah, it, uh, there, I don't think there's anyone in St. Louis that really misses, uh, your Laterra. No. Um, I, I always, I, I, I know. Okay. So St. Louis fans, there are a couple things we like. We like, uh, you know, and it's a baseball town and the, some of the more popular baseball players in St. Louis are the gritty middle infielders like David Eckstein, where they're scrappy and they defy the odds. And it's the try hard crowd, man. That guy tries hard every single play, just like I would if I was put in that position. Um, but we also, as blues fans, we like big, strong guys. So, I know that there have been inklings across Twitter that if Wayne Simmons were to become available or hit free agency, that, that the blues should really go after Wayne Simmons because he would be a really good asset to the blues. And so I'm, I, I know his numbers, you know, 12 goals, six assists are not exactly eye catching. Uh, but I, I, I have not really sat down and really tried to watch Wayne Simmons that closely. So I kind of am curious tomorrow uh, on Monday night to watch, watch him and see, what blues fans have been talking about. Okay. Well, we'll see which Wayne Simmons you get. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, gotcha. That's all I need to know. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. He's one, of the, he's one of the guys who has both most visually and vocally been struggling through this down period. Um, a lot of quotes about skating in quicksand and oh. there was a, a play the other night against Calgary where he just completely blew his defensive coverage and was just coasting and not moving his feet. And it led to a goal. And it was just like, Wayne, come on, buddy. <laughs> and it, it actually is like, it's super glaring with him because like you said, he really is known to be a workhorse and he has been here for, for most of his time um, before he got hurt last season. Um, been exactly that a guy who never gives up on a play, always willing to go into the corners um, obviously his office in front of the net, he gets beat up there and he never gives up, but yeah, I don't know what's up with him this season, I, but yeah. I mean, it's the whole team. So it's, it's hard to like completely yeah. blame Wayne Simmons for playing like crap, but he hasn't looked great, but maybe you'll see good Wayne Simmons. You never know. That, and that's, that's what the blues fans were hoping to see in Pat Maroon. Yeah. And uh, it has, I mean, he's had a few plays in front of the net, but he has not been the uh, force that blues fans were hoping for. Yeah, it's yeah. I Wayne's gonna end up somewhere, and wherever he ends up, I think they'll be happy with him. But um, I don't think it's gonna be here. Yeah, I see that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So last thing before we go, give me a shot in the dark game prediction. Uh, gosh, let's see. So the Blues are kind of on a uh, play well one game, play like crap the next game. They played well enough to win on Saturday. You okay. know, they, they limited the Islanders to 14 shots, but then Jake Allen allowed four mm-hmm. goals. So, you know, if you if you hold another team to 14, you score three goals and you hold the other team to 14 shots, I think you, you win. win yeah. You, you should win almost every time. Yeah. They did. So um, maybe that's their their good effort and they're, they're due for a, a bad one. It, 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 I think it'll depend on uh, – I think Jake Allen will probably get the start uh, because they'll probably want Jordan Bennington to play on home ice instead of trying to say, oh, no, you're rookie. Your first NHL start, you need to go play on the road in Philadelphia. I think yeah. they'll probably start Allen, which means the Flyers will score at least three goals. So <laughs> so I kind of feel like it's going to be 3-2 or 4-3 Philadelphia. Okay. So I'm not sure if you knew that the Flyers are on game six of a losing streak, which is just wonderful. Um, it's got to end sometime. You would think, 
<laughs> they did get to 10 last year, so you never know. They might be trying to break their own previously held record. Um, honestly, I think they are kind of due for a bit of a rebound. I'm kind of hoping that losing in overtime to Calgary has pissed them off enough that maybe they might come out with a little bit of jump. I'm going to say, I'm going to be optimistic this time. You're going to get Carter Hart and not um, one of the roulette wheeled backup goaltenders who I don't know who it would be at this point. I guess Mike McKenna, but who knows really. Um, but yeah, you're going to get Carter Hart. He has only had one bad game so far. So yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go three, one flyers. Uh, so McKenna could get the start. No, it's Carter Hart. Oh, so unless, McKenna, unless McKenna's I, the top backup. I think McKenna is our current backup. So he's because, a St. Louis native. Is he? Yeah, he uh, he grew up out in West County, not far from where I grew up. And uh, we actually, so Jeff and I used to have a radio show for a couple months in 2017. And we mm-hmm. actually had him on after his AHL season ended. We had him on the phone. And he, I think he was on the phone for like 40 minutes with us and was tremendous talking with us. Um, I'm we already, were... yeah, I've, I think he was, I think he had been a flyer for about two hours and I already decided that I'm a Mike McKenna fan. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a family guy. He's a foodie. He's a metalhead. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a personality. He's really smart. Um, and it's, he's on like what his 25th organization or something. It yeah. seems like 25th. I don't know what the actual number is, but I mean, he's been ever, he's, he's actually played one game in St. Louis when he was with the devils a few years ago, mm. his grandfather, this is, this is how small the hockey community is in St. Louis. Sometimes his, his grandfather was the official scorer when the blues entered the league in 1967. Oh, wow. And he kept a pocket watch and McKenna wore his grandfather's pocket watch at his wedding a few years ago. Oh, Lord. I just can't with this guy. He is See? infinitely likable. Like, I can't. It's too much for me. Now I need him to retire a flyer. I'm buying Mike McKenna jerseys. It's <laughs> too much for me. I, I mean, I love an underdog redemption arc story to begin with. It's nice that he's getting another shot in the NHL, maybe. Um, yeah, I get but it. He just he just seems like such a nice man i want to want to say well. you feel bad saying anything negative about exactly yeah yeah i want him to do well maybe he'll uh you never know goalies are weird maybe he just needed to wait till he was 35 to get good you never know <laughs> <laughs> well that that kind of that almost happened to uh carter hutton here in st louis i think he was yeah. 33 or 34 when he like started playing well and played well enough to get the contract with buffalo so yeah you just need sometimes you need 20 years of practice and then everything just falls into place absolutely <laughs> All right. I think that's everything that I have. Awesome. I think well, we hey, did pretty good here. Hey, thanks for having me on. This has been fun. Yeah, Brad, thank you very much for doing this. Again, this is Brad Lee from St. Louis Game Time, the physical paper, and also St. Louis Game Time, the SB Nation blog dedicated to the St. Louis Blues. If you guys want to go ahead and check that out, they're doing good work over there. Brad, thank you again for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. This was a good time. Yeah. All right. Let's go Flyers.
Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hittin' Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.